Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello and welcome back to my favourite time of the week and I'm very lucky to have Nick Borwell with me uh, as part of the Inspiring Leadership series. Nick's had a very interesting career thus far. Currently he's the principal of the Civil Service um, Leadership Academy which is part of the Cabinet Office but he's also had a variety of interesting roles. had 27 years in the military, uh, uh, left as a colonel. He commanded his uh, battalion, the Duke of Wellington's Regiment and uh, had a really interesting time being the first man into Garajda as part of the uh, Bosnian crisis with alive battles going on around him. We're going to be talking about leadership both in the military and outside. So Nick, welcome. Yeah, thank you very much, John. Great, it's great a real pleasure you. to be here. Thank great you. having you here. Um, when we look back and, and you mm. think about uh, inspiring leaders that you have worked mm. with, uh, we talked about David Santolal, I think was one of them. Do you want to say a bit about yes, why yeah. David would be um, one of them? Look, there, are, there are dozens of people we can all think of when you get to my kind of age that have inspired us. But, and there are others who are kind of not so good leaders. But David Santolal, I should explain, he was the commanding officer, so Lieutenant Colonel, when we were in Bosnia. Um, but it was beyond that as well. David had a knack. Uh, to be able to delegate and trust his subordinates. Um, uh, but actually, when you needed him to be there, he was on your shoulder. Yeah. But he was never there unnecessarily. And that was hugely comforting. And, and uh, having that trust from your boss is outstanding. So we could sort of get on with what we needed to do. He knew we were good at what we did. Yeah. Uh, and that was tremendous. He was also supremely calm in a crisis mm, exactly. and you need that you, you know the more people are shouting and and bawling and so forth it doesn't do any good at all yeah. and actually the more difficult situations are actually the more people need to be calm and yeah. i learned a lot from him actually in in, yeah. in in so it wasn't strategic in a sense although he's a very, he's got a very good strategic brain uh but actually there was something about in the moment yeah. Uh, he just knew what to do and he had great integrity and yeah, yeah. great leader. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him. I don't know mm. him that well, but I know all of him. Mm. And then who would be the second uh, inspiring leader he'd learned something from? This is really difficult. Well, I'm going to say my wife, Jane, yeah. actually, who um, is, is one of those people who can influence without authority, uh, if you like, although you could argue she's got authority over me. Uh, but no, actually, um, she's someone who has... Um, uh, is it's difficult to say someone's a natural leader, but she has a certain natural magnetism that people yep. are drawn to. Uh, she sees things with great clarity, and and she does have a strategic brain. So, yeah, actually, I've mm -hmm. learned a lot from her. Yeah, that's uh, and she's an inspirational leader in my book. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. often people choose people in their family, and so it's it's mm. nice that you chose chose your wife. And then the other thing that we're often interested mm. in is is learning. You know, leadership is all about learning. It's a journey. It's never over. Mm. Um, you know, you're teaching the art and science of leadership uh, at the at the academy, um, and it's as we'll talk about in the next in the next part on the mm. podcast. Uh, we need to be led by good civil servants, and luckily we we have. But as as you've learned from your failures, what would you say? 
had been a trait in the past and could occasionally pop up again now that you know you got things wrong with that particular trade and, and how you've managed it and what's shaped you as a leader since? Um, definitely, it's jumping in too quickly, into a, particularly into a new leadership role. Um, having preconceptions, thinking, you know, I, I know it before I get there, um, and trying to make an impact straight away. Actually, there are ways to make an impact in a kind of more subtle way um, but actually, you've got to understand what you're dealing with. Um, yes. So it's important to understand the team, to be able to shape that team, to be able to adapt the team as the situation evolves, um, to take stock of whether or not the vision is right, whether it's achievable, mm. actually. Mm. Uh, very often, um, objectives are set um, without any idea as to whether or not they can be achieved. I think sort of some of the military planning side of things actually helps with that. But, uh, and some of the programmatic, and my background's uh, other than military is, is in major program Yes, yeah, just about the different organizations like Circuit so, and BT. And yeah, and well, I left the army, went into BT. Um, they very kindly put me through uh, uh, the Masters in Major Program Management at Side Business School, which is tremendous. Excellent, of course. And I've since become an uh, associate fellow there, which is great. So I'm involved in the Civil Services Major Projects Leadership Academy still. Um, uh, worked for Serco and for Mott McDonald, uh, all three companies I was involved in major programs and, and uh, projects. Um, th that's a tough way to, to earn a living, actually. Yeah. Um, because, again, it's um, setting expectations and, and having a vision, but actually it's got to be deliverable. Yeah. And it's got to be time, cost, quality. Very different, you know, the triangle of do more opportunity. Yeah. We need to look um, at Crossrail and just see how people get it so bad. Well, my, my, uh, another inspirational leader, uh, Tony Meggs, um, was the, the CEO of the Infrastructure and Projects Authority, which is where I was working in the Cabinet Office for two and a half years until a year ago, if you like. And uh, he was pulled out at very short notice to head up Crossrail to make sure it gets a, across the line, and he will do it. Yeah. But the reason he was chosen is he's a very good an excellent leader, but he also understands the complexities of delivering these things yeah. and uh, and has the confidence of people. It, and, it, and is, it is so hard. And um, <clears throat> let's end with some of the uh, the tips that you'd give to people listening that from, from experience, you know, a huge amount of experience, 27 mm. years in, in the military and a variety of real-time challenging situations. And then now a whole variety of, mm. of good firms, but also now... The, uh, the the civil service with yes. their leadership academy. What would be your tips? I think the top tip because I, I think we can talk a bit more in the in the podcast about some of the others. But the top tip is integrity and being authentic, actually, uh, and and having that confidence and the integrity to speak truth to power. It's not yeah. that power, you know, whatever that may be, uh, um, isn't intelligent or or won't listen. It's it's the, it, it's got to be laid out clearly for them. And you've got to have the moral courage to be able to do that. And yeah. that is sometimes really difficult under mm. great pressure. So above all else, and you know, your team will know it, your the the stakeholders will know it. If you're authentic and you've got that integrity, it's absolutely crystal clear. I think that that's great. And, and let's just end with that that one. I love the one about the complete incomplete, <clears throat> the leader and the team. Do you understand? Yes, that? yeah, absolutely. The I mean the the, the notion of that is 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 that um, 
the incomplete leader, complete team is that no leader is the whole package. Some think they are, but they're mm. not. Yeah, we're not. And so it's really important not to recruit people just like you, because otherwise you won't have that div- the diversity that balances your skills and your weaknesses. Strengths are overplayed. That's very dangerous as well. Mm. So actually, the incomplete leader, complete team is about making sure that your skills are balanced with the rest of the team yeah. and that actually you can do you can be the whole package through your people not just yourself yeah I think that's really important fantastic nick thank you for your time pleasure it's, it's great spending, spending time yeah. with you yeah, absolutely. and um yeah that's really really helpful and i think a lot of people will take uh, some good tips from that thank, thank you. you okay Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and welcome back to Inspiring Leadership Extra as part of the podcast. Uh, Really lucky to have uh, Nick on this series. Nick, um, we we, we were going to talk about early childhood, which you said was quite quite a normal one, nothing nothing exceptional, you didn't have any great tragedies, but still interesting Mm. to hear about it. So... So you grew grew up. Father was Indian father, Army. Father uh, was ex Indian Army, uh, but but a businessman. Um, and, he was in the Gurkhas. Uh, was he? he was third Gurkha Rifles. Yeah, um, uh, and uh, he was a remarkable man actually. Really, uh, and and shaped a, a lot of the way. Quite inspiring for you, was oh, it? Oh, very much so. Yeah. He, what were what his values? What did he, he? He was. Um, he loved people. Really, he really loved people, and yeah. and. Uh, he was. He understood the, about how you influence without authority, not in a sing, sort of cynical way, but he just really enjoyed making things work. And he yeah. understood the way to do that was through people and yeah. teams, um, and uh, was just really good at it. Actually. Yeah. Uh, so I learned a lot from him. Okay. But my my upbringing was was slightly boringly conventional. And, and staying with families for a moment, yes. uh, the upbringing. Mum, what were uh, her values? Was, so did she? Because you talked was, about integrity as being really important. She, Mum's yeah, values. She was very. Um, she she interesting. She had a. Um, I, I I don't have a strong religious affiliation. My mother was brought up a Catholic, but um, was was felt bullied. By the, by the church. I, I don't have a problem with the Catholic Church. I'm just saying that yeah. that's what she felt. And so she she was very, she was quite, um, uh, she, she just said, just be good. Just be a good person, yeah. as it were. Yeah. And she didn't, uh, so she instilled that kind of, those those values in yeah. us, I think. Which stay with else. you throughout your life. Which just stay with me, yeah. 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 Okay, and you said Reading Bluecoats. Yeah, it? I went to Reading Bluecoats School, which is a uh, which is um, just outside Reading, a village called Sonning, um, uh, in the Cadets. And when I was in the Cadets, I thought oh, I might want to join the army. So okay. I, I then became an army. I, I got an army scholarship. Which That's quite hard to get. It was hard to get. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily. I have to say, in reflection, the best way to join because yeah. I think you're a bit young at 15, 16 to really know you. And you're quite committed from there. For Alistair Kett on his, he he got an army scholarship as well. Yeah. And so he sort of knew from fifteen that this was going to be much of his career. Absolutely. You, so you're, that sort of certainty of <clears throat> career. And but, but I knew I knew enough about myself to realise that I was a bit immature. Mm. And I was still immature after I finished a slight gap before I went to Santa. So I left school, uh, dug swimming pools for a living, joined yeah. the Territorial Army. Which bit uh, of the Territorial Army were you? Uh, I was in the infantry. Yeah. Um, uh, and in the Wessex Regiment. Yeah. Uh, just for about six months. And, yeah. um, uh, and really enjoyed that. But actually yeah. the whole point was to get fit, to w- work out, you know, which way a, a, a rifle worked and things like that. So, so Santa's wasn't such a shock so as it was wasn't for me. It was a shock. Yeah, it was still a shock, to be honest. And, and I was the youngest on my intake, I think. Right. Uh, and and I found it hard, really yeah. hard. Not the physical stuff. It was yeah. more the the um, the leadership yes. training that we were going through 
was something that was, I kind of knew I was going to have to do it and I was looking forward to it. But actually it presented quite a few challenges. Yes. Um, and But isn't uh, it great? I mean, here you are now at the Civil Service Leadership Academy teaching leadership to civil servants. But back then, you know, the Army really got leadership, a huge investment leadership. You know, when you were in yes. Serco, BT, Mock McDonnell, they, they did send you on courses, which is great, but you never had the kind of investment in time to no, become a leader, did you? I, I think that the military, I mean, it's interesting that um, the, the civil service, for example, now is um, pretty much alone in the public sector and not having a completely joined up leadership development offering, which is what we're doing. We're putting that in you place start to now, put that place, yeah. which I'm really proud of. I'm really pleased we're doing that because it's really important. But, you know, if you take the NHS, you take military, of course, police, local government and others, they do have something that's a bit more joined up. And in the Cradle case of the military, yeah. very joined up because, you know, you're, you're um, to be melodramatic about it, you're one bullet away from the next level up. So you've got to be able to act one up and think two up in the military. And I think that's that's a kind I love of that act one up, think two up. Yeah, yeah at least true. two up actually, yeah. because it's important to be able to understand further up than that. But, yeah, yeah. But I think that um, the the civil service has uh, huge strengths and has coped with real major difficulties in the last few years brilliantly. Um, but um, and we've got to be careful not to draw the wrong things from the military. That's true. The military because it's is a different not the, kind of organisation, it, and it's not the be all and end all. Because <clears throat> no. let's just talk a little bit about your time in the military, and then we'll come onto the civil service because I think it's a yeah, very interesting. So, um, yeah. No, no, no. It's just I just yeah. um, I, I'm really interested in touching that. So, so you um, very interesting varied career where you were went to the Malaysian Staff <clears throat> College. The only person who did two staff courses, as far as I know, you also went back to the British staff no, I got it right in the end. <laughs> you, served, you served in Australia. Uh, and then you were the, your company as a company commander, you were the first guys into Garajda. Tell us a bit about that, because I love the story of David Santralala in the uh, Behind the Mail Sacks. And I also love the story uh, about your two different corporals, one, one who used uh, peaceful influence and the one who used the barrel of the gun. So yeah. tell, tell us a bit about that. Well, uh, just to set the context, you know, I, I was quite an experienced officer by this point. I'd done staff college. I'd been a company commander in Northern Ireland before as an acting major, so as a captain. Um, but this, we, we were, we'd been in Kenya for, for two months training and within 10 days of getting back from Kenya, we were deployed, surprisingly, to Bosnia. In a Bosnian winter, so it was that. That's the context. So we were very well trained. And you were foot soldiers. You weren't in warriors, or you? Well, we were. We were in Saxons, which were sort of armoured ice cream bands. Uh, really. <laughs> um, and 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 the the locals didn't think much of our vehicles, really, and neither did we. Um, but uh, our job was to go in, and unlike the the, the warrior battalions the, in the heavier armour, they were escorting convoys and keeping routes open and that sort of thing and checkpoints. Our job was to get out on our feet into the hills to separate initially the Muslims and the, or the Bosniaks and the Croats in central Bosnia. There was a crisis in Garajda, which was a safe area, uh, French area. The French were meant to be dealing with it. My company was called by David Santralala to go to join the French to go into Garajda. Um, and uh, it was a very tense situation. What was going on? What was the 30,000 civilians in, a, in what was meant to be a safe enclave. Half of the enclave had already been pinched out by a massive Serb attack, um, and it was paused while they were regrouping. Um, we had a, a Royal Navy Sea Harrier shot down. A member of the SAS was killed and another one wounded, and there were firefights going on. Very serious there, a long way from Sarajevo. 
and the French were going in to kind of stabilize it and separate the forces. And my company was going in there to, to be part of that force. Um, yeah. Well, we got to Sarajevo Airport. Um, uh, I couldn't understand why we weren't moving. And the French commanding officer, who was a Marine Lieutenant Colonel, came to me and said, because I was very encouraged by the fact there were 400 Frenchmen there and lots yeah. of armoured cars and things, yeah. and my 100 soldiers. Uh, and he said, um, I'm sorry, but my government says we're not going in. And... I said, well, what about us? He said, oh, I think you're still going in. What? And at that, they all drove off the airfield. Now, in terms of leadership lessons, it was quite a lesson, actually, because um, the the soldiers gave, my soldiers gave lots of Agincourt salutes to the French as they (laughs) cat calls as as they would. I bet the French would hate that. They, in fairness, then it wasn't their fault. You know, they, no, they, yeah, they, they were obeying their orders from their government. But <clears throat> but the point about it was that um, th- there was a, then a, this awful silence, as everyone realised it was us. Now there were a few other sort of uh, small contingents, Egyptians and others there. <laughs> but actually, we were we were the joined up unit that was going to go in, and there were a few Ukrainians already. Just a hundred of you. Just a, well, one hundred and twenty. Yeah, yeah so company much, yeah. with with, with yeah. anti tanks and mortars. But we we'd made sure we had lots of ammunition. Uh, lots of defence stores. Um, we were told that we'd be relieved within about 48 hours. Um, Did you believe that? We took 14 days rations, which yeah. was lucky because we didn't actually get relieved for 10 days. Wow. And then we were in there for six months, mostly on half rations. So, yeah. um, so we prepared really well. Uh, when we got in there, um, uh, instead of 500 troops to separate it or yeah. to, to oversee the withdrawal of the Serb forces, to beyond three kilometres from the town centre, there were 100 of us or 120 of us. Yeah. And that was that concentrated the mind because nothing I had been told was actually happening on the ground. Yeah. So all the orders we had, and General Rose was quite clear. He said... Oh, Mike I, Rose, yeah, Mike Rose. Yeah, he was, he was great, actually, although, you know, didn't really know what was going on on the ground there. Um, there was an SAS troop in there as well at the time who we worked very closely with. Um, and and it, we had to separate the troops for, for the listeners. The troop is only just what? Yeah, oh, sorry about. It. There were about a dozen of them actually. Yeah, so it's not um, many people. So they can't. Tiny they can't people. turn the war, war around on just no, twelve no. guys. And it's too. There's too too much to sort of say really about that tour. It was extraordinary. But what was in terms of leadership and in terms of did what they we give you doing, an award for for that tour? Uh, I got an MID. So, right, yeah, okay. But but you know. But honestly, one of your corporals. But one of my corporals got a conspicuous gallantry cross. Which um, is a, an unusual award, isn't it? It was the first ever, actually. It's the one below the Victoria Cross. Really? It was the first one awarded. It was well, it was a new award at that time. Wow. And uh, Corporal Wayne Mills was... Um, what was he doing? Was he, he was clearing Serbs, asking them uh, forcibly to, to move out of the, the area we'd been told to move them from. Some of them didn't want to move, and there was a firefight. And um, he... Um, he stayed back to protect the withdrawal of his team because they were heavily outnumbered. Mm. He only had him and five. So he told the others to get moving and he stayed behind to hold them off. Wow. Um, Knowing and, that he could uh, potentially die. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He was he was right up against it. Uh, and um, he fired at the Serbs uh, at pretty close range as firefight. They they legged it. There were a lot of them, but they legged it. They didn't. I didn't think they realised there was only one man there actually. Uh, and was it night time or daytime? Uh, no, broad daylight. Right. And and then he crossed the open ground, rejoined his team, and they came back. And um, there were lots of other stuff going on. And, at the and time. you got the award for him because you realised what he'd done. Oh yeah, he wrote up the citation. What about you? I mean, that, that's yeah. that's so the important thing. He was he he just always knew what to do. 
in the right place at the right time. Again, he's one of these people who just... What was his leadership skills? Because this is a corporal... Oh, pretty robust, I have to say. Yeah. (laughs) He was pretty robust, but um, uh, in a a good way. I don't mean in any kind of... The kind of person you'd want in a tight corner. Absolutely. And then what about your your other corporal? Well, um, the other other situation was there was a a feature above the town called the Bicerna feature, which was a bald feature. It's bald because all the cover had been shot off it. And it was sticking out above the town, and it was um, it was occupied by what we thought were about forty or so Serb soldiers, um, and we had to move them off there. And I thought we might have to to actually launch some kind of operation to shift them off. Um, so I was dealing with you imagine there was a hundred of us, so I was dealing with other stuff going on. I said to Corporal Fisher. Napa Fisher, I said, <laughs> get up there and have a look at what's going on, and then I'll come and join you, and then we'll work. We'll, you know, come up with a plan. How are we going to shift them off, off this hill? Bearing in mind, there's no communication really with Sarajevo at yeah. this point. We just had to get on with it. And um, half an hour later, he came up the radio and said, they've all gone. And I said, what do you mean they've gone? He said, the Serbs, they've all gone. <laughs> so I, so I, uh, I went up there. And I was quite surprised at this because this was a vital piece of ground for the Serbs. And um, uh, and he, Fisher, Court Fisher was reluctant to say what had happened, but his boys told me that he told them to get in cover and just cover him as he, and he took his helmet off, put his berry on, pulled down a packet of cigarettes, put his rifle over his shoulder, and smiling walked towards with the cigarettes in the air, walked towards the Serbs, yeah. smiling. Wow! And uh, the Serbs cocked their weapons and they were shouting at him to get back. Uh, but he kept walking. He kept walking. And he could and have got he, shot. He could have got machine guns. Easily. Easily. Uh, and he, because this is the first time they'd seen us as well. Yeah. Because yeah. they, they didn't they'd know heard we come in the night before, but they didn't know. Oh, right. That quick. So that yeah. quick. Yeah. This is on the first day. And um, he found himself in the front trench with these Went and sat with the guys. And- a couple of them could speak English. And he said, it's all right, lads, we'll take over now. <laughs> these serves. And that the serves, kind of bare-ass courage. Absolutely. I mean, that's courage. It was absolutely... I mean, he... Bluff, bravado the and thing courage. is that he understood the intent, which is we have to... This is so important. We have to get them off this position. But he did it with that hinges on it. And he just had a hunch. Now, wow. it could have gone horribly wrong. But yeah, the point yeah. is he had the courage, the moral courage, as well as the physical courage to say, I'm going to go and do this. And I'm sure Major Ball won't mind. And I didn't mind at <laughs> all because we didn't have to fight anyone. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and then we reinforced that position and we said to the Serbs and the Bosniaks, this is now a UN installation. If either of you try and get it, we will defend it. Yeah. So, so they, we they then had that feature you kept for it. the rest. We kept it. Well done. Yeah, well, so. I don't know, Fisher. And um, one of the things we were talking about, um, both at the uh, Inspire Leadership Academy yesterday and today we were talking about this, was the importance of sleep and looking after yourself, particularly under high stress. Which I don't, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but yeah. we were talking about the impact it had on you of really not sleeping at all during that, certainly the first 10 days until you got some food <clears> coming in. Um, and then we'll talk in a moment about David Sandra Lala coming in to support mm. you. But but how did you find that that, that <clears> huge <throat> pressure? I mean, people in business, and you've, you know, you're in business mm. now, um, you know, have busy times and big projects to deliver and it's stressful. And they don't, you know, they have to work weekends and things. But you yes. were you were in a, a war, you were in a war zone, call it what you like, it was a war zone. And you were having people getting shot, bullets were flying around the place and mm. you weren't getting much sleep. What, what impact did it have on you? Um, it, it's, it's hugely uh, disorientating, actually. Um, and it's that moment when you think this isn't an exercise, because you know, even if it's a two-week exercise, it's going to end at some point. 
yeah. um, uh, or there'll be some kind of administrative, you know, break because there has to be or whatever. And you just know there isn't, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So I remember the first night I didn't get any sleep and the second night I didn't get any sleep at all. I just thought, I just can't keep going like this. You know, I'm going to, I'll either make a really bad decision. So we started getting snatches of sleep, but they never lasted very long. And certainly the first How four long? or five days, a couple of hours at a time. You yeah. know, really, um, and and you're like really sleep. It's almost like you're, you're operating drunk, aren't you? That's absolutely. what they say. They, the, the research it's, says it's that. very dangerous. And um, and and then we started getting a bit more discipline. Around. It wasn't that we were ill disciplined. It was just the situation was so fluid. Um, you know that we we thought at one point the um, in fact the Ukrainians who were there but not but they were there in body but not really in spirit. Um, and who were very much siding with the Serbs, Serbs yeah. um, said to us at one point, you know, tomorrow when NATO bombs, the Serbs will attack and you will all die. And, they, all right. and one of them said that in front of all my, my NCO, officers and NCOs. So I took him to one side and explained the error of his ways, <laughs> as you do. Um, but, but the point was that, um, that, that there was that pressure yeah. Uh, in the end, actually, we were able to verify the Serbs had moved out of a larger zone, you know, with their heavy weapons, so there wasn't any bombing. But we didn't know that, and we were planning to defend uh, Garajda. And it, there's something about this um, understanding the intent. So I knew what we couldn't afford to do is have, and it would have been wrong anyway, obviously, to have a massacre. We, we just couldn't let yeah. them through. So I said to the company, you know, not... Because this is so it. different from the other case with the Dutch. Well, exactly. Where yeah, they later. left and they gave up and all the people were massacred. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously I wasn't on the ground with the Dutch, but my understanding is that they they um, they, they stood to the... They watched people being hauled off. We just, And this is before that happened. We, we just knew that we couldn't do that. So I, I was talking to the company about and not i don't mean announcing to them i said look we've got three choices we either we either pull back into the pocket and stay safe while it's all going on and then come in you know if there's a moment later or we put our hands up when the serbs arrive and go into the bag or we hold the position if we hold the position on the bridges they've got to come through us to get to the town to get to the main part of the town so we're going to defend um and everyone all of them all the soldiers were absolutely up for it. Because, of course, they could all die. They could have easily all died. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to look at it now and say, well, it didn't happen. But but the threat was yeah. absolutely real you and just, palpable. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they'd been fighting viciously days yeah. before. Yeah, absolutely. Why would they suddenly stop now? Yeah, so, so, so it's, yeah. But it's understanding that intent, but also understanding the team. Now, we worked together closely for... Um, two months in Kenya on a very robust exercise. And David Sandralala had made sure it was so. Because um, you knew you were going from Kenya to... No, we didn't know. Oh, right. That's the interesting thing. So we just, he was... Know. But this is the, the back... The, to one <coughs> of the things the military does do well is it, it, it you know, train hard, fight easy. That, that if you have mm. a good commanding officer, as you did with David Sandralala, he would train you for whatever yes. you had. And you came back and 10 days later, you're suddenly told, right, you're off to Bosnia. Yeah. You didn't know that we while you were in Kenya. We were in Bosnia 10 days after we got back. Yeah. I mean, it was that quick. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, and I remember David Santralala in Kenya saying to me at the end of a very sort of 
tiring battle run thing exercise we did he said uh, he hardly said anything during this he just watched what my company was doing he came up and he lit a cheroot and he said uh, well done your company is now ready for war but neither of us at that stage realised wow. that 10 days later we'd be in one because he'd been very brave in Northern Ireland hadn't he yes he had yeah. did he yeah. I think he got an award didn't he got an MC then. he got an he MC got a, a Distinguished Service Order for Bosnia as well wow so Military Cross and Distinguished Service mm. Order that's uh, a so, very impressive combination but um I think that that whole um, that whole experience um, actually taught me a little bit about um, uh, understanding understanding the, the intent and what we needed to yeah, try and achieve your part in it. Two up, had, one up, and then actually using initiative to be able to do it, yeah. um, and having the moral courage just to get on and do it. Actually, yeah, yeah. it's really no, important. Fantastic. So, so let's go from the sublime to the the core blimey. With um, civil service, so, yeah. so you, you, you know you've now been uh, twenty-seven years. You've been in the military, and you're now in business for about fourteen. Um, let's talk a bit about the civil service mm. because they get a they get a bad press. You know, they're, they're really you know some people say that they're and, and I know to be different that they're just managers. They're not particularly good leaders, but but actually. You were telling me sixty thousand applicants for a thousand places. I mean, well, we have. Is... Um, I think just to set the context, I, I did the major, the uh, master major program management at Oxford. I then um, was asked if I'd like to apply to be the lead of, of the project delivery profession in the infrastructure and projects authority, part of the cabinet office. That was in 2016. I said I'd love to, and my company, very kindly, which is Mott McDonald, seconded me to the cabinet office. Um, I the, the part of my responsibility was the Major Projects Leadership Academy, which was spawned from the master's programme I did. So, so I knew around major project and major programme leadership. And that's about the, the key tenet of that is ideas to outcomes, policy to delivery. And I think Danny's doing the course. <clears throat> Danny, Danny and I have worked. Yeah, you Danny, know Danny, Danny Payne for the yeah. But I think he's now at Oxford on, on another course. He is. He's, yeah. he's doing the master's programme than I did, actually. Okay. No, in yeah. fact, I was a referee for him. But anyway, okay, that's yeah. the story. Yeah. So, um, so, so th- that the continuity is quite important to understand, and then because of that, I was asked to interim on the Civil Service Leadership Academy, so that there's broader leadership development. Now, <laughs> the Civil Service um, has a leadership program, uh, a, a graduate development program, uh, which uh, takes a thousand people a year. They had sixty thousand applicants, proper applicants for those thousand places. So the pipeline of young leaders coming in is outstanding, yeah. really outstanding people. Um, the we've got about five thousand senior civil servants in the civil service of four hundred fifty thousand or so. Um, they uh, have not had a joined up leadership development opportunity yet but we're working on that some of them get really good development some of them don't so we understand the pressures on them and the pressures have been almost unprecedented over the last few years um there's the whole brexit piece which has Mm. been rumbling on as we know um and um and and i think we're in a position challenge in our lifetime i think i I think i think i think it's pretty unprecedented actually Mm. um there's a huge um, portfolio change going on in government, um, transformation of departments, uh, working across departmentally, working the systems that deliver out- outcomes for the citizen. All those things have got to be led. Mm. And we have got some outstanding leaders in the civil service, no question about it. Um, and um, they are doing everything in the public eye. 
They are making policy with politicians and then having to deliver that policy. And what our role is, is to make sure they, they can do their better equipped to do that. Uh, so we've got great leaders. Actually, you know, I can pick out a, a couple. So, um, so you're quite encouraged for our future um, as we go through this change uh, with Brexit and, and establishing ourselves independently, that you, you feel we've got some good leaders who are going to actually help deliver on some of these key projects? I think we, we have. Um, I think everyone recognises that there need to be changes and that um, we are positioning ourselves now with the development of leaders to be able to do that better. So, but the point I'm making is that we already have some great leaders. So, it's, you know, and, and what we want to do is, uh, the Civil Service Leadership Academy is about leaders teaching leaders. Yeah. Um, not just bringing in outsiders to teach. So what we do is very unusual in the civil service policy making and then delivering outcomes mm. for the citizen. That's It's really important we have leaders that can do that. Um, and so the idea of the incomplete leader, the complete team, the idea of the dance floor on the balcony yep, so you know it's big on dance floor, all that yep. stuff where you you understand you you you're aware of the detail you understand the detail but actually you you position yourself so that you can take the long view and the vision all really important so the yeah. stuff we're doing and do you see the dance floor balcony kind of concept <coughs> that that you need to be able to get down onto the dance floor, see what goes on, work with people, but then let them get on with it and get back Absolutely. up and have, exactly. as, a, as a strategic leader, have that strategic level view, uh, overview of what's going on the dance floor, where the fights are breaking out, things like that. Well, that's why it's so important that we've got a, a coherent leadership development offering throughout the civil service. Yeah. Some departments, um, all departments are different as well. Departments are very independent in the way they are set up. Yeah. But they're increasingly having to operate across a system. Which is... Uh, so systems leadership, and this is a big Mark Sedwell cabinet secretary thing, I know is, is vital. Well, yeah, from... I mean, he's very clear on this and we understand it. John Manzoni, who's, who's, who's got a clear vision about this as well, set up the functional agenda. So you've got all the different functions in government that are being properly constituted. So they work across departments. That's hugely important as well. Um, really good. Great. And, and there's much more we could talk about. But it, what I'd like to do is end with you know, a couple more of your top tips for the leaders listening on to the podcast. Absolutely. What, I, what would you pass on? I think, um, I think there's, we talk a lot about the how of leadership, you know, sort of uh, whether you're consultative or autocratic or the rest of it. I think that, um, first of all, it's having that clear vision and being able to communicate the vision people understand it and it being realistic is it mm. deliverable second one is having the right team creating the right team forming the right team and refreshing the team when mm. the situation changes preferably before it changes yeah um, the third one is challenging and accepting challenge having the humility mm, if, i like if, that one yeah if you frighten people uh, and there was one just very briefly I, there was one chap uh, a long time ago on on uh, the national program for it who was running it who said in front of the Public Accounts Committee, I treat my suppliers like sled dogs. When one of them fails, I kill it and feed it to the rest. What? Now, that was the culture of leadership, which meant that no one was going to tell the truth under yeah. those circumstances. And the last one, the last tip, is be kill calm. It, it. Oh, my God. Still, so still... be calm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so think... those, are, those, are the one, those are the areas that I think are really important. And, and the calmness, I think you, you did... You referred to David Santralala there and others, <clears throat> particularly with him 
Do you want to just say that the final thing with him arriving in Garage Day? Well, uh, I mean, he, he'd been desperate to try and get in because he knew we were on our own and uh, being the commanding officer needed to be there to support us and actually to run things. And he was trying to get another company in that came in after 10 days. But um, we had a, a casualty helicopter arrived and uh, out from behind the mail sacks, hidden in the back of the helicopter, was my commanding officer, David Sanjalala, <laughs> with a big grin on his face. And I was so relieved. He was just with what he was standing up in, actually. He yeah. had no kid, really, and yeah. his weapon. Um, but I was so relieved to see him because although I was, I think, doing a reasonable job, I honestly was on my chin strap by yeah. that stage. Yeah. And I needed some help. And he yeah. was there. Fantastic. Nick, thank you. It's been a fascinating conversation. We could talk about many aspects of leadership. It's your passion for you and me. It is, absolutely. But I know everybody would appreciate all that you've shared. So thank, thank you. you very much. Yeah. John. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you. <laughs>